This episode is marked explicit because three or four F-bombs were dropped. Just giving you a heads up before you press play at work or with the family in the car. This episode is packed with good information, especially in the last half where we analyze Rugi's actions. If you haven't seen the video of the Weapon Snatcher himself, there's a link in the show notes. Here it is. Hello, welcome to episode number 157 of Gunfighter Cast. I'm Daniel Shaw, and I've got with me our co-host, Varg Freeborn, and I've also got the weapon snatcher himself, Shooter Rugi. Like the rest of the gun world and people who are not even in the gun world, we saw you roll up on this cat. From my perspective and, and what it seems like it came out is uh, that squad car, that patrol car had been kind of beat up a little bit, and some dude grabbed that rifle. When I'm watching this video and I see this, this guy looks like he just wants to hold this thing, maybe get a picture. Maybe he wants to do something with it. He just hasn't really figured out how what the buttons do yet. I, I have no idea. But he looked a little bit confused holding it. And obviously, you know, somebody who's trained, see somebody who's untrained, you can recognize, recognize that lack of training immediately. And here comes this dude with no hair. And then when I found out you were a Marine, I was like, oh, right on. Because that explains a lot. Because that boldness and the violence of action and the in-your-faceness of, of the way you attack that situation I was like, right on. This guy, I don't know what training he has, what he's done or anything else, but he understands the value of extreme violence of action and boldness and uh, you know, basically surprise and stopping somebody from the ability to think because this dude was like catatonic immediately thereafter, didn't know what to do, move, or say. What, what were you doing out there? I was running security for a local news team. Is that something you do on a regular basis? You run security guys, like private security stuff? As regular as uh, riots. Around here in this area, yeah, uh, with everything going on in our country, COVID and everything's been real slow. So it's work, work's picking up now. Oh, so you just like found a thing that needed to get done. You're like, uh, I can do that. Got a message. Hey, we need a job over here. So I was like, yeah, let's do this. You had a news crew in there. Were you the one, Were you by yourself with that news crew protecting them or is there more? I was by myself. How many people were there that you were protecting there? Just no, it was me and two others. Oh, so you had a camera guy and like the reporter. Was it not not a, not like a huge crew or anything like that? No, thankfully not. Can you you've probably done this like twenty times the last week or so? Can you kind of describe through what happened and why you did what you did? Uh, yeah. Um, that video clip was the second rifle that I snatched, so I'll I'll start right from the beginning before the first one. I was on a corner with the uh, news crew, and I had seen and identified two police vehicles that these rioters were breaking into. So you know, it clicked in my mind. You know, there's probably there's probably firearms in that vehicle. I need to keep an eye on this. So I was holding security for them, for my team. And as the rioters are breaking into it, I see the front vehicle, a rifle be produced from the front right passenger side. So he, as soon as he pulled it out, uh, I yelled gun and I got my crew to safety. And I put them right around the corner, which was easy. We were right there. And by the time I did that and came back around, he, had fi he fired four rounds when I came back around. This is the one in the video. No, this is the first, this okay. is the one there is no video of. So that rifle in the video is the first one that's slung on me. So I slung my bag in front of me um, and I drew my pistol and I watched him duck into a clove of a building and uh, I came up on him and I came up on him right around a corner. He was halfway facing away from me and uh, trying to, I don't know what he was doing with the rifle. He was trying to mess with it, figure something out. But I scared him, dropped the weapon, dropped the weapon real loud, just like you saw in the uh, second clip. And I had a pistol right to him, and he didn't drop it, but he he was shocked. He was stunned, didn't know what to do. It looked like someone had just yelled at him for the first time in his life. So I snatched that rifle from him, told him to get the fuck out of here. And uh, I took that rifle, and I, I would say holstered, but I pocketed my Glock, and uh, I broke it down. I cleared it, 
you know, dropped a magazine, broke it down, took the bulk carrier group and the charging handle, put it in my pocket and uh, went back to my news crew and I held security there until uh, a big rush of people had come past the corner. And I, we were on the phone with dispatch. So I was hoping it was the police pushing people back because they knew that I had a rifle that I had taken. So I told my team to hold here and I was, went around the corner to try to get that to them because I knew if there were police coming and with how many hundreds of people were around us, it was going to be a difficult push. So I wanted to meet them. And as I did that, I came around a corner and I got pretty much lined up to my left side with the uh, vehicles and they produced another rifle bag or they produced a rifle bag out of the back of the second vehicle, which they pulled the rifle from. And uh, there's a clip on a, from the left side of, I drew my pistol from my pocket and I came up on him pretty much the same way as the other. The only difference was I had further distance to cover, but he did not know I was there. Most of everyone in that area did not realize uh, what happened with the first shooter and me taking his rifle. So violence and surprise and uh, <laughs> the guy acting like a sheep the second he saw me, um, I was able to snatch that weapon from him. He didn't want any of it. He immediately took his hand off the fire control, I think more than anything, because more of the weight was in his forward hand. So, you know, he's going to take it off the back. And that's probably what saved him because if he would have raised it, it wouldn't have saved him. And uh, I took it from him. Then you saw me, I cleared, I cleared everyone else out of the area to get distance to space, which provided my security. And I cleared the rifle back on the ground with my foot because my hands were full and I needed to do something quick. Um, and once that happened, I checked my surrounding area, pocketed my Glock and uh, unloaded, cleared out the rifle. And I made my way as I was making my way. I disassembled the weapon the same as the first. And I got back to my crew. Do we need to start a holster fund? <laughs> so you don't have to pocket your You know gun? what? I think I think it worked out pretty good. I, you know, I pot right real quick. I was able to draw, you know. It, no, you did what you had to do. <laughs> and I, you know, I made the conscious decision before I went into there that, that day that I wanted to bag my Glock because bumping into, I knew I was going to be tight and in crowds and I was in a riot actually back in, or riot, uh, no, I'm not judging, man. I carry off body often as well. Yeah. Sure. And I, I was in a protest back in Italy in this last September. I just happened to find myself in it and, uh, how many hundreds of people bumping in. So I was like, I don't want that. It's going to be easy to feel. I don't want anyone. Uh, everyone's going to be on high alert. I don't want to spark any situation. My goal is to deescalate. So that's what I did. And it, you know, it worked out this time. So Varg, what you got? I know you're over there. I see wheels turning. Yeah, I've been thinking about this for a while. That video brought a lot of very good questions to my mind. And I didn't know I was going to have the chance to talk to the guy. So this is awesome. So the first thing that I'm curious about, and I even had, you know, questioned this because I, that particular type of mission, I have zero experience with. And I, I needed to pull on some of my PSD friends that have experience with that type of uh, uh, specific problem. My question is twofold. First of all, what was the thought process for you to make the choice to leave your principal, to leave your protectees, to go to take care of that problem? So how did that thought process take place for you? We'll go after that first. All right. So that's actually a very important one to me because uh, from the moment I saw the firearm and I knew it was in the hands of someone that you know was illegally obtaining it and that they were escalating everything they had done from, you know, from that day to the moment that I decided I need to get my hands on that weapon and get it away from them. The f what happened after that was I have a job to do. I need to protect my team. So I made the choice to do my job and I protected my team. I got them around cover and I told them, do not fucking move. You know, they needed to stay there. And we had briefed beforehand, like, you need to listen to me. Something happens. 
I need you to listen to me because if I if you don't listen to me and you create a variable that I don't know or that I don't expect, that's going to cause a lot of problems for us. So they were very aware that I needed them to listen and they did. So I put my team into cover and then it wasn't about my job anymore. And it became about my duty and my job and my duty were two different things. The duty overlays into both, but it's also got a big thing. So, you know, it's, uh, I was thinking about this the other day because a lot of people say, you know, I was just doing my job, just doing my job. And we've heard that thousands of times from all the heroes that have come out of our country all for the entire time we've had, especially in these last 20 years. Uh, to me, I think that's, that's not deep enough to go into. I think, and I wrote it down, I put, at that point, I wasn't doing my job. I was doing my duty. My job was to keep them safe, and that was taken care of. But then my duty came into play. It was to protect others around there and de-escalate the situation if I could. And I think that comes from a, a deeper sense that, uh, you know, us protectors get instilled with. So I did that, and I had been able to make that decision so rapidly because I had framed my mindset into what I was going to go into that day before I got there. I had set my mind. I knew that, knew I made decisions left and right and center of what I was going to do if this, if that. So I, I already had an avenue of approach to go down if something happened, and I was able to act really rapidly because of that. So to put this back, it was mission clarity going into the situation that allowed you to be able to confidently make decisions because you knew why you were there. You knew what you were willing and not willing to do, what you were allowed to do and not allowed to do, who you were going to do it to, who you're going to do it for. All those things were worked out beforehand, which made the decision-making process easier for you in the heat of the moment, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, another thing that went through my mind, honestly, was an example by our guys over that happened uh, in Benghazi several years ago. You know, it basically came down, do we listen to this guy and keep our job or do we say, fuck it, and we go save these people? And that that flashed, you know, Takasakiya, your mind's running so fast. That flashed through my mind is, you know, do what these badass dudes did and fuck the job. I got a, I got a duty to do so. And that's what I went and did. And luckily, my uh, my company and my bosses and everything, they lined up right beside me and they're like, this is good stuff. So they're they're doing really well for me. Cool. So I just, the second part of that, question I had was how did you mitigate or plan to mitigate any backlash that would come from the crowd because you still had your people your protectees inside the danger zone at that point there was really only one thing I could do and if that thing didn't work then uh it was because I was my life was immediately about to be threatened or my teams it was verbal violence and uh, a show of force from that point on, from me taking that second rifle to the time I got those rifles to the uh, police officers, I had my pistol up in a high guard, and I was very verbally violent to anyone who came near me or near my team. And uh, that show of force, I think, was what got us through there. And also, I kept us moving. And if we weren't moving, I kept us, you know, at least one side of us was protected by a building or two sides of us were protected by a building. I had a lot of people on us after that. I just made a threat. I just made us a target. So getting from A to B encompassed just verbal violence and show of force. I had that pistol up. My tone of voice, my inflection, my aggressiveness, I think, is uh, what got people to back off, even though they were still trying to come at us. They're coming at you looking for an opportunity. But they're like, yeah, I'm not really ready to jump into that just yet. How about when you approach the law enforcement officers and you're a guy with two rifles and a handgun drawn? How'd that go down? 
actually it went down very smoothly and easily i had a plan for it in case it would happen because i i understood i mean i understand law enforcement how they're going to react to things um it honestly was very very simple it went smoother than i think anyone could expect my guess is because you were moving looking and sounding like a good guy well, I mean, by the time I got to them, about the last, I would say, block, half block, I was getting closer to the police. The aggressors pulled away, were backing off because I was getting to a very large police presence up in front of us. So I think they backed off. And so what I did is when I got clear enough from them, I put my Glock in my pocket and then I broke down shotgun style of the rifle. So I popped that rear pin and I had them broken down, both of them. And I had them over my shoulder with the barrels down to the ground. And so I held them like that. And when I got close enough to a police officer, one, one finally noticed me. I had my other hand up and, you know, they could see I was holding something, but they were completely vulnerable weapons. They at that, you know, you could tell that they were completely inoperable at that point. Then he put his hand up, told me I need to stay back. And I told him I yelled, officer, these are your firearms. I am returning them. And I had to, I said it. He said, you know what? I said it one more time. I was like, you need to come here. These are your firearms. I need to return them to you. Once he got to me, he had a very puzzled expression, which I think I would have too. I told, explained to him, I like, these are your two firearms are confiscated from a police vehicle. And these are your bolt, bolt carrier groups and charging handles. I pulled out of my back pocket and I handed it off to him. And someone, one of his other officers came up and, you know, helped take them from him, from me. And uh, he said, what's going on here? And I explained it one more time. I was like, these are yours. You need to take these. I need to go. And I immediately turned around and I ran off. I needed to get back to my team and it, that was it it was very simple um i made myself very clear uh i showed that i was not a threat even though i was completely armed i had a pistol and two rifles on me even though they were unoperable they didn't know that right away very clear decisive open body language i was easy and relaxed you know and i think they picked up on that and they accepted it very well so as a marine asking another marine this is the most obvious question in this whole scenario you took control of a rifle when you had a handgun, not once, but twice, and you passed on employing that rifle as your, your primary weapon. What was my situation? You got to look at my situation. So was I in a gunfight? No, I wasn't. I was not in a gunfight. I was trying to de-escalate that from happening. So tactically, you know, the situation is going to defend my tactics. I was in a situation where I was one guy surrounded by thousands in that city that were, you know, angry and riotous. And I had two police firearms. Now there's several answers that go to that. I don't know those weapons. They're not zero to me. I don't know if they have any, uh, if one malfunctions frequently because it hasn't gotten work. I don't know anything about those firearms other than that they belong to the police. I don't know how reliable they are. I, they're probably very reliable. Now, if I was in a gunfight, if rounds were flying, absolutely, that would have been the tactical decision that I would have made. And uh, I would have made it. But that was escalation of force. I was trying to de-escalate the situation, get back to my team and get us out of there. Um, and I mean, they're police firearms. I do not need to be confiscating police firearms just to turn them on civilians. That's, that's not it. And then the, that question has come up a lot. That's not it. And people can, can armchair quarterback it, Monday morning quarterback it all they want. It's much easier when you're, when you're not there in the middle of a riot, you know, after snatching a gun from somebody. So uh, not, not judging. I thought about it too, and uh, it went through my mind like it would be advantageous of me to this make be my come my, become my primary. Excuse me. 
Or at least a really good secondary. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I also, I had my, I had my pistol. I know my pistol um, is very reliable. It works very well. I've trained with it plenty. I had great work done on it by a friend of mine that stippled it up and it was soaking wet that entire day. I was everything on me all the way down to, you know, to the skin was soaked and that my pistol didn't slip once. I didn't have a, you know, a fear of dropping or anything. And I was going through a lot of uh, different stuff going on that day. You know, that says a lot about in, in training as well. Something I talk about in classes, I'll have a, an officer who at, at 10 yards, you know, they're great with a handgun. They're, they're decent with a handgun. Take them out to 15 to 20, they can't hit anything. I'll be like, so when do we transition from our rifle to our handgun when our rifle goes down? And they're like, oh, 50 yards and in. I'm like, no, 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 no. Everybody else transitions 50 yards and in. You're more like seven yards and in because you don't shoot handguns good. So for you to have the confidence in your, your handgun abilities, you know, says something about some training to have, unless it's false confidence, then it says something about a lack of training. What did you do to prepare for this? And now you, you talked about making the decision. So I, I did that myself. So if, if somebody starts riding in residential areas and causing damage to houses and breaking into houses in my area, you know, I've already played that game in my mind. If X occurs, what will, I, what will be my response? If this occurs, what will be my When do I go to this certain level of response? And I've answered those questions, kind of like the baseball player before the pitcher even pitches the ball. If it goes to left field, I'm going to be the cover man, and I'm going to throw the first, or I'm going to throw the second. So we play through as many of those scenarios as possible. So we're having a, what we refer to in the Marine Corps as a 90% plan. If you're ever you know, involved in some, some planning processes when you're on active duty, we always have at least a 90% plan. And that other 10% is because we know that that plan is going to go to crap whenever it makes contact. And uh, we're going to have to change a few things. So what I'm really talking about is what prepared you to act this way? And do that when some people wouldn't have done what you did. They wouldn't be Instagram famous like you are right now because maybe those people with those guns would have killed people. Maybe that guy that had the gun that you snatched it from the second time, maybe he wouldn't have. But the guy that the other guy that snatches it from him would have killed people or, or you know hurt people, killed officers, killed civilians. Maybe the first one he'd already fired. He'd already had the the gumption to fire the gun a few times. So who knows what he would go to when everybody's around watching him and encouraging him to do something dangerous with it. You potentially saved lives doing what you did and you recognize that this needed to be done to protect your team and to protect people around you because that you, you explained it's for your duty but what prepared you with that mindset you know because I, I know you're a marine so you can start there or wherever you want well i mean the marine corps obviously especially marine corps infantry obviously gives you the training to handle very dynamic and uh you know aggressive and overly chaotic situations so that definitely had a play into it and you can see the training come out through that video when i was in it i didn't realize i was going heel toe heel toe grouching but i mean that's straight up training that kicks in i think the thing that does that really helped me make this decision is the decision process I went through before I got there. And I mean, I, I love firearms. I shoot all the time. I try to train firearms, try to get better at it all the time. But I also, I knew the law. I know what the law dictates. I know, know what uh, I can and cannot do, you know, versus this and this and this situation. And I think that education is very important and it is lacking. I personally believe that at least some kind of basic law school needs to be taught in schools, middle school, high school. Um, how can you live in a country and you not know its laws? But I knew the laws pertaining to escalation of force. And I made the decision that these are American lives. Then I made this for going into it. These are American lives. I don't want to take an American life. I don't want to take a life in general. I will if it needs to be. But if I can do anything, I'm going to, to make the decision not to. And I think that influence it may sound real corny, but comes from Musashi to win a battle. You know, the true warrior will do it before he ever strikes, you know. And uh, I think that I saw both of these guys and their body language. They had no idea what they were doing. 
years of on the range and experience around it, I can pick up on that. And that was the avenue I chose because I already made the decision. I think that was probably the most important thing. And I got lucky. Like this should not, this situation should not be the standard for police. I got very lucky. These guys didn't know what they were doing. They were in a mob surrounded by people that were aligned with them and they didn't realize I was there. No one knew I was there and they didn't know I wasn't, that I wasn't with them. I was very much, I mean, it's been used now. Um, I was very much the gray man in the crowd. They thought I was with them. I was doing everything I could to blend in until the second something happened and I needed to act. The decision to do so was made multiple times since I was 13 years old when I decided to join the Marine Corps. Um, and then you and I, I shot you messages. Uh, and we t- retalked when I was younger and you had just started this podcast because you were talking about Sheepdog and everything. You told me when I first reached out to you about coming on the podcast that I was the first podcast that you ever listened to. But then when we first started this show tonight, I like I had an influence on you when you were joining the Marine Corps and starting this journey. Like, tell me about that, dude. That, that I got, I get chills, man. That's so awesome. <laughs> it's it's uh, crazy how far-reaching stuff is, huh? Yeah. Um, well, I was, you know, I think I was signed up for the Marine Corps when I was seventeen, and then things happened within my family that dictated I needed to stay and help my father with uh, with family matters, and uh, so I didn't join until about four years later. But what you really helped me to understand is you were talking about Lieutenant Colonel Dave Gro- David Grossman and his book on combat and on killing. So I went and picked up uh, on combat and I, I read it cover to cover super fast. And it was about being a sheepdog and the, and the duty that's within us. And, uh, you know, it, it made a lot of sense because through my own nurture in my life, I wasn't protected from situations where I should have been from by people that were there that should have been protecting me and that always really bothered me but what that did is it made me want to protect others that way that i was never protected and uh i think that pod those podcasts that you were originally producing and putting out there like it gave me the verbiage and the uh you know the path to understanding myself and that really played a role and i mean i already made the decision to join but that really played a role in understanding who i was and why and uh, since then, I've made the decision a thousand times, you know, multiple times every single day to do what I need to do when the situation arises. And yeah, it, your stuff is far reaching, like uh, training videos for firearms. It's far reaching. People don't realize how much it really does uh, play out. So, well, I only get the comments from the people who say it's all stupid and they have a better well, way. When I got your <laughs> message, I was like, yep, absolutely. I'm responding to this guy. I know who this guy is. And uh, although your video on 1911s and why you don't trust them that hurt me but <laughs> that's all right hey, I, I love 1911s i just i'm i'm carrying another gun you could say that all you want but what gun did you have in this video when you're protecting uh, those people yeah 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 i know i know i right. uh, glock 19 gen 5 with uh uh surefire x300u and something. yeah when you went into when you were going into the shit you did not carry a 1911 no. i got it no <laughs> love 1911s i'll get hate for that that's fine but i love them just it's not my not my choice. Yeah, to go you, to a fight I can with. hate it all I want, but I mean, I understood it and I understand it, and I mean, it's true. So, uh, man, there's some uh, there's some 2011s though out there. I that, shot uh, one yesterday. That are making some changes in my my thought processes. <laughs> I like them. I like cool. it's like a basically like a Glock's like an automatic, uh, you know, vehicle, and a 1911 is your stick shift. You know, you got more controls and you can do more with it that way. But uh, eh, they're both great guns. Yeah, that, that's a cool thing about guns out there. And there's so many good ones out these days. 
you probably remember the hostage situation in uh, in Kenya where the SAS guy was wearing jeans and, and this and stuff and everything else. So he became a superstar and everybody wanted to wear a dress just like him and everything else. People are going to start, as soon as I saw this video, I'm like, oh, people are going to start slinging their rifle under their right, their firing arm, just like he had it. And, <laughs> it, and when, it. I, when I watched it, I was like, at first I was thinking, I was like, yeah, that's a strange way to hold this rifle if that's his primary. And, and it made a lot more sense when I realized that you had unloaded that gun and everything else. I'm like, okay. But I did not know where that first gun came from until you just told me this right now. But now it all makes sense why you had that gun slung that way. Next thing you know, I'm going to have people showing up in classes. They're going to have their rifle slung underneath their right shoulder. Um, they're going to be, they're going to have their head shaved and they're going to have a beard and they're going to be dressed and, and looking just like you in a hoodie. Am I right, Varg? Uh, is that not the world we live in, in the firearms world? It is. It is, unfortunately, I think a big part of it. They'll, they'll have their hoodie. So that uh, that gentleman, the SAS gentleman, that in that whole situation, how he no one knew he was there, but then he was there to act. That that uh, played through my mind during that day when uh, after I turned the rifles and I was getting my team together, I was had to run several blocks to get to one of them, and you know my mind's racing, and I was like, you know, this kind of reminds me of the SAS dude, and he was a legit operator. He did what he had to do, and he was definitely kitted out. And here I am just with a Glock in my pocket. I mean, I had two IFACs from North American rescue and I had some zip cuffs in my bag and some baby wipes. I mean, I had that, but uh, Dude, you were prepared to do work before you got in there. You know, you, you knew your mission, you knew what you needed to do. You had some tools with you. Having the medical kits with you is huge, especially in that environment. If you go into that environment without a medical kit, that's almost as crazy as going into it without a gun, in my opinion. I think it personally, if you are going to train to carry a gun or you decide to carry a gun, which I am all for, responsibly armed citizens, then you should also carry a medical kit that right you on. have the responsibility to protect life. You have the Then you immediately have the responsibility to uh, save lives. So you need to seek that training just as much as you seek firearms training. You're a lot more likely to be involved in a medical emergency than you are a gunfight. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I've had churches try to do some training. Like, hey, we want to come out and do some training. We want to do this to help our church uh, protection team or whatever they want to call it. And I'm like, well, has everybody got CPR certification? Does everybody have medical training for stop the bleed type stuff? And they're like, well, no. Like, you guys want to come shoot guns. You are much more likely to have some old dude had going to cardiac arrest, somebody choking at, at some kind of homecoming lunch thing or something, uh, or anything else than, than getting in a gunfight at your church. Now, it's it's something you definitely need to address and need to work on, but uh, you got a few more things we need to think about before we get there. Yeah, absolutely. Right I think on. they go hand in hand. If you, have the if you take the responsibility to put holes in someone, then you automatically take in the responsibility to plug those holes. Is that your gun of choice? Is that what you carry most of the time? Yeah. I don't have much money, so it's the only one I carry. <laughs> I love firearms. I am absolutely into them. They're my hobby and my passion and all that. But, uh, you know, COVID has hit, made times hard. So that's uh, – I came home from contracting overseas, and I needed a gun for work here in the country. So uh, that's what I went and grabbed, and uh, that's what I used. Got a little work done on it. Makes it a lot better for me. What do you do for work? It looks like there's a little bit of training, some, kind of some protection. What do you do? Um, I do some of the, you know – security and investigation work and uh one of the last two years i was actually a firearms instructor in baghdad for a, a contracting company on the embassy <clears throat> and uh then before that i did some security in afghanistan and kuwait and then before that i was uh you know doing my mar marine corps marksmanship instructor in uh over in hawaii and then i was an infantryman so and then in my spare time i was shooting and you know training that way is what i do how do you think this event is going to affect you in, in your work that you do right now and, you know, getting future jobs or what direction you're going to go? 
That's a, that's a very big question. So how it's affecting me and my work, I went back out into the city to work. I had to wait a few days because my bosses were worried. So what ended up happening is two brothers of mine that I served with, they live with me right now. They took off early from work to run security on me as I was running security on my team when I got back into the city. But uh, again, I went even more gray than before. Um, no one noticed me. No one knew I was there. And By that, you mean you put a hat on? <laughs> no, I had a, I, I went full face mask. I had a hood on. All you could really see was my eyes, um, stuff like that. And I acted more aloof and with the crowd than more alert than anything. Um, but obviously still absolutely alert. Um, Varg, you're nodding right there. What, what did that just spawn with you? I got a pretty good idea. We talked about it recently. Yeah. Yeah. That whole deception, like he mentioned Musashi earlier, like this stuff goes back hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Is it, you know what I mean? Like, and the ability to manage the perception of those around you of how they see you is really the true field craft of concealment. And that's exactly what it sounds like he's talking about is just, that's why I'm over here nodding because he's like hitting on these like really key points that are so, yeah, they're, they're just so like, it's, it's hard to pass that kind of stuff on to, to the uninitiated. And that's the thing we're always trying to do in, in teaching is like explain that part of it. Those things he just said, that that's what you need when you talk about concealment that's what we need to talk about not what holster you're using or how much you're printing but to keep yourself from printing yeah exactly yeah exactly true concealment yeah people can't see who you are by your actions and how you're acting then but you know how you're acting inside and i mean aloof right aloof i'm kind of goofy looking around i'm loose but what am i doing i'm looking around i'm assessing i'm just doing it in a way that no one can really pick up on and that's what my goal was. That's what my goal is when I'm taking those kind of jobs. And a lot of companies, they don't like that because they see it as unprofessional. And I can see, yeah, it's not professional, but it's more effective. Yeah, I'm sure like anything, it's got a time and place. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Overt security and covert security, two very different things. Overt dress suits, everyone's looking the same. It's very clear like these guys mean business. That will scare off a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of people wanting to do harm. And I get that, but situation dictates. And, uh, the situation dictated that my tactics be very, very covert in this situation. So, I mean, I was going to the crowd, doing some chants with them and everything because people were looking at me funny. And uh, the second I did that, immediately their eyes, all right, yeah, and they looked away. <laughs> so that's, that's, how, that's what I wanted, you know, that's how I handled it. I think that's pretty smart given the situation and the circumstances and being by himself with his, you know, he's got two people he's responsible for. And uh, the overt for one single guy inside of, you know, hundreds, maybe thousands of people is probably not, That's probably a target. not the best choice. Yeah. Very good. Very good choice, I think. I appreciate that. Especially if your mission is to protect the, the news crew and they want to get a certain story, a very organic, a very uh, authentic story, not having tons of overt security with them would be good for that ultimate mission of telling the story of what's happening in there. And if you've got these guys look like a, some bouncers in there, big, huge, like guys dressed in suits or whatever, maybe they're dressed in all tack gear. I think you're going to get a certain, the people that observe that are going to act a little bit different in their presence than they would if those people were just by themselves, had one of them with them kind of thing. Yeah. Speaking from that point of view, absolutely. And, uh, you know, that wasn't in my mind when I was going into it that day, when I was getting ready and leaving the house and everything. Um, but looking at it in hindsight, it's like when I was with that team, it was like, I want them to do their job and I want them to do their job unimpeded. 
and it absolutely helped getting them to and from crowds. I was helping them get through and everything. And people were asking, you know, what is this? And I just, oh, it's a video blog, you know, nothing. It's, it's for this. Let's get this stuff on camera. This is good stuff. Yeah. And, uh, you know, once they realized, or once they realized, once they took my pretext and ran with it in their mind, they let us free to do what we wanted. And they, some people were still coming up and trying to break into buildings and loot them right in front of the news crew, which I think has a lot more to say of lack of presence of mind and situation. But, uh, well, do you, do you think that they saw the news crew and they wanted to do it because it was on the news or they didn't want to, or they didn't notice the news crew because they didn't, I think they the didn't care. Mind, right. I absolutely think they didn't care. And, uh, cause some people would come up and look and they'd like, you know, you see the wheels turning and they realize, and then boom, they're sitting there knocking on windows, seeing what they can uh, break through with it. Um, and to me, I was just like, this, this is just stupid. <laughs> There's no other word for it. So firsthand experience, and you're really the first person that I talked to who has, um, who has got firsthand right there in front of them with the riots, not the protests. You know, there's tons of that. And I got tons of friends who have been out protesting. Some that have seen it, some that like me, we've seen it online, but you were standing right there. We, I also, you've been to other countries as well. Describe to me what's going on out there. What's really happening, not just what's being reported, if there is any difference. The news is twisted. No matter what it is, no matter where it's from, no matter what they're covering, the news is twisted. Um, I've been in situations overseas. I was in uh, Baghdad at the beginning of the year when there was a you know siege going on. And then uh, what was going on there versus what I was seeing on the news and people were asking me, completely twisted and delayed. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm part of a few uh, like veteran groups and... I think we got a lot of the real information that was happening in Baghdad at the time, but, but it was, when I looked to the regular news or even some pundits online and uh, the high level blogs that typically we think covers these things. Well, there was a huge disconnect from what was really happening and the reports that we were getting from contractors over there. Yeah, there absolutely was. And uh, it was very much a political game at that time, which is always going to be played. It's always going to be played. And I get that, but uh just the fact that the news twists to create controversy, to gain, um, you know, viewership and then push their agenda is, is despicable to me and I hate it. And that's why through all these podcast interviews and everything I've done, I try to be very clear and concise. And if I do see something that could be misconstrued, I try to set the record straight immediately. Um, because that's one of my biggest pet peeves. If everybody in the country could be watching this right now, listen to it, which isn't, but we do have 105 people here watching. What would you want to set straight? Almost? I was not an undercover cop. I am not SF. There are rioters and then there are protesters. And people focusing on the division in the country is outshining the unity that we have. And you need unity to fix division, not the other way around. And uh, people are pushing certain agendas left and right. Well, we really need to focus on the whole of the issues. And I think we need to also focus on the standard that was set for creating change. And I referred to him before, Martin Luther King Jr. and Gandhi. They set real change in our entire world. And it wasn't through violence and it wasn't through rioting and it wasn't through attacking or anything like that. So I think people really need to... Uh, stop thinking selfishly and start acting selflessly in you know, in the large picture. Well, it's very true. I mean, we, how many things do I see on a daily basis online and, and in person of people doing some pretty messed up things just because of their narcissistic nature, just because it's the entitled looting and, uh, is selfish. Looting does nothing to 
make real change. Oh, there's people out there who don't care anything about. So this one, this is one thing that really angered me about this whole thing. For the first time in my adult life, do I see almost a unanimous the law enforcement officer. All my friends who are law enforcement officers, tons of them. This is the first time I've ever seen where pretty much everybody agrees that this officer in Minneapolis made a bad choice right there. This guy was killed in custody. He was murdered, right? Or whatever you want to term you want to use. He's being charged. Allegedly, okay, we can play the semantics game and all that. That's great. I have never seen everybody, usually when something happens and it's kind of even clear cut either way, you've still got everybody goes and, and defends them and everything else. This one, it's like everybody was pissed off about this. Everybody's angry about it, mad. This is the first time I have ever seen where we can actually have real conversations about this. We could really start some serious change. And it's for me, it's a systemic problem with training in law enforcement. It's part of it, made up the whole thing. There's a systemic problem in leadership in law enforcement, in leadership in life, in individuals, in, in just regular humans, people who work at McDonald's, all the way to the law enforcement officers, all the way to the government of the United States of America. There is a serious leadership problem in this country. I think that stems from a even deeper problem, though. And because in my mind, how I always view it is you build a country the same way you build a man that builds a family. You build it from the family values as they're young. And I think the only way you're going to fix real leadership is not just their training, but what are those values that they were instilled in with as a child and growing up? And that doesn't, and I know, yeah, not everyone has a mom and dad together or, yeah, yeah. you know, both alive. That's fine. And I get that sad. My own parents aren't together and I haven't spoken to one of them in 10 plus years. But uh, you can still get those values and instill them, and you can still choose. You can choose your nature versus nurture. You can choose who you want to be. You can choose. I chose at one point that I was going to be a person, and I make that decision again all the time when I'm confronted with something uh, that's difficult. And that can lead into better individuals, and those better individuals grow through training and uh, advisement to others. And that just spreads like wildfire, like social media it spreads like wildfire and it builds a better, stronger nation and people within. And uh, I think that, again, is stems from poor family values to none, selfishness over selflessness. No, absolutely. And that's the problem that I have with with all of this right here. This is the the best opportunity I've ever had, ever seen in my life to address current racial issues to officer training to everything else and leadership because I, I made a post about the the three people who were not leading across the chain of command up and down the chain of command who allowed this to continue when, when it was happening there's all these problems first time it's ever been we can actually have a real conversation but then it's going to been completely hijacked by people like antifa and and rioters some dude who wants a 62 inch vizio Right, like has to totally hijacked this entire thing when this just cause of the protests and everything else, a very just cause, but it has been completely hijacked. It's ridiculous and it's sad and it's by design. Yeah, it is. And I've had word from people that uh, know better and people that are in positions to know that it is absolutely by design and it is absolutely going to, uh, what's the word, um, be combated, I guess is the best word. Honestly, it's sad to see a nation at war with itself because right now we're not only it's not only sad and disgraceful, but it's also showing us it's showing our ass to the rest of the world. It's telling the rest of the world that we can't handle our shit, and you can probably hurt us right now. Yeah, it's not a message that uh that I like at all. No, not me either. Man, a lot of good talks this episode. We went all over the place like we always do on Gunfighter Cast. Varg, what you got? Any any final thoughts for uh, for Rugi? I want to jump back just real We can talk quick. for another 30 minutes. I don't care. Yeah, that's good with me. Yeah, I want to jump back to the to the event and to the action real quick. 
because you guys got off on the talk about the cultural problem, and I agree 100%. I talk about it all the time. What we have is a cultural problem, and that's where you're talking about the values and you know what kind of parameters internally and externally we're raised with and, and that we hold important in our lives. What you described a second ago, Rugi, is you, you described Vark childhood in a lot of ways. Really? Okay. With yeah. Something we talk about. On- Honestly, I mean, no disrespect. I know nothing about you. So Yeah, that's cool. No, it's no big deal. I'm just a dude. <laughs> the dude playing a dude. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so so the cultural thing, I, I'm 100 percent on. But I talk, I talk about it all the time, and that's that's how I address that problem. Is until we fix the culture, uh, it's it's not going to it's not going to change. Jumping back to the action real quick, something that we only see you come into the to the video like in motion, and and you're obviously on your way there. What I want to know most about in that particular moment is two things. First of all, how surreptitious was your draw and your approach? Like, did you really, because you knew you're breaking your, you're breaking your concealment and Mm -hmm. you're breaking your mannerisms that were keeping you from being noticed. So you, you have to make a point where you pass that threshold of no return, that point of no return, right? Where you're going to be seen and that's it. You're trying to manage where that point's going to be at in the approach. And then your draw is surreptitious, your, your, your approach is surreptitious, but only to a point until that point of no return is reached. So how did you plan for that and how did you operate through that? And then once you were in action, I seen some very interesting things with muzzle control that when you're very close, you were, you were direction down. You know, Obviously, you're worried about backstop and you're worried about liability of your rounds, I'm guessing. But those, those two things are, are what's probably most interesting to me at that point you know that's actually i'm glad you're asking this because i would like to ask some questions of you about uh you know the proficiency and tactics and everything that you guys see because i mean i can see it from my point of view and i've talked to others that are you know within this world and mindset as well and i've heard what they've had to say but actually one of the first messages daniel sent me was like you know what i didn't didn't see it exactly like that like this is the stuff i want to get into um what i saw at that moment is yeah i was breaking my concealment but i had already broken it but not to the extent as that second snatching. And uh, what I saw is I have an entire street to cross. I have a large distance to cover to get to him because while I was confident that I could, I could end that threat from there, I was also more confident that I could get closer to him. You also had a big accessory hanging from your side that is kind of giving you away a little bit as it is. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it was at first and actually I had it broken down into, upper and lower receiver in my left hand i was just planning on carrying it like that but then i was like you know what this is this is not working i need my hands i so i need i threw it together and i put it over my shoulder but i mean at that point of time that was on my right side and i was walking down the right side of the street so i mean them on the left they didn't see and like i said no one really saw me take the first one and it's your mannerisms too because your your mannerism once you change and begin to move with a purpose you're way more noticeable even if you have a rifle slung Mm -hmm. a lot of people aren't going to see you yeah, and even if without training, you can someone seeing that can see, oh, this this is an aggressive action. It's going to click, even if they don't know what it is. And I needed to get across that street as fast as possible. I use uh, projection in my voice, just like you learn in boot camp, and it scared off some people around, which you know was better for me. And I was able to get all his buddies away from him and uh, freeze him like a deer in the headlights through, as you explained it, 100% violence of action and uh, verbal aggression. And that's what I had to do. Once I broke that concealment, 
I knew it was only going to go one or two ways. And I was prepared for both. I don't think he was prepared for anything besides this looks cool. What can I do next? That breaking the consensus, we talked about this recently, Varg. I don't know if it was on a podcast or when we were talking about your book, but Rugi was projecting one thing and wanted everyone else to receive one thing from his projection. And then the second he began projecting that next thing, it wasn't like halfway projecting it. It wasn't a little bit. It was like, okay, now turn it on. This guy's violent. I don't want to get in his path. This is not something I want to mess with right now. And then probably went back to, uh, you know, the next day or two when everyone out there projecting something totally different again. Oh, it was actually after I returned those rifles, I got my team to uh, back to the vehicle. We d- uh, did some contact with the station and I changed. Um, I made myself looking different and I turned around and went back right back into the city, into the riots, um, looking different and acting as I was before. And because in that point, I really had to. But uh, once I broke that concealment, I had to take complete control. Um, I had to make my, you know, my, as I say, command presence. I had to take a very controlling command comp- presence that that you were going to listen to me or you were going to suffer. And I was only going to give them one or two options. And I was you know, screaming at them, drop the weapon, drop the weapon, both of them. They didn't, but they were froze. Well, that weapon wasn't getting raised to me. So why would I make the decision to put them down? Or I should probably say more legally, stop the threat. So I saw the opportunity. I've taken plenty of rifles from people on the ranges before. And, you know, I took a, I snatched it up in a very controlling point of that rifle where I knew I'd get a good grip and pulled it away. So I think a lot played into it. And you can break down 10 seconds for their 20 years and find everything. But in that moment, I mean, what I see that I did wrong, and which I want your guys' words from or, you know, thoughts, is I, would, I could have taken cover behind a vehicle. In a gunfight, that's absolutely what I should do. And I know I wasn't in one, but when I see this situation, it's like the first thing as a Marine is you get cover. And then... Uh, yeah, but looking at this video, I can't see 360 degrees around you. So I can see part of this vehicle, and maybe the other side puts you between the people that you snatched the gun from, but I don't know what's on the other side of that. So like, I, I can't say that you're standing in the wrong location. You know, I, I have no idea. I don't have enough information to, to even begin to judge on your use of cover in that because I, I don't know what else is around there. My thought process was, and I don't know if this is 100% great, but I was standing out in the middle. Everyone could see me, and I knew I was very vulnerable there, but space equals that safety for me unless someone has something that can reach me like another firearm. But then behind that vehicle, what is, I, I didn't know. I, well, I did know. I, I saw, but someone could have easily come up behind me. And I was trying to get distance from them. But, you know, it's just that and me breaking cover. There was apparently someone else there that I've heard from that was in the crowd right there that was ca- uh, carrying concealed, and they hesitated. That What I was told is that this person said they hesitated, and before they um, even came to the idea of making a decision, I was already acting. Feel- See, that's a good point. I, I was talking about that a second. Uh, I brought this up earlier when you were approaching the law enforcement officers. But when you have a gun out in a public environment, and you have the potential of, of all duty law enforcement officers out there or concealed carry holders out there in that area. There are people who don't have the level of training that you do. There are people out there who had daydream about being their shooting, being on liveleak.com and world star hip hop that night. You know, there are people who value this type of thing of using their gun and, and getting a stateside or whatever. The Conus kill, you know, all oh, that kill. right. So the, in, in reality, it's easy to get shot. It's easy to be mistaken as a bad guy. We've seen many blue-on-blue incidents with off-duty, off-duty law enforcement officers. We've seen some with concealed carry holders. 
looking and sounding like a good guy and your actions, not just in, in verbiage, but not just in like how you're carrying the gun, which is part of it, what muzzle control, how you're handling that firearm, you know, training is going to observe and, and recognize training, all those different things, your actions, the mission of your actions, the, what you're going for and what you accomplish, you were projecting, I'm a good guy right now before you were projecting something else but then you began protecting i'm a good guy and i'm going to stop you from doing whatever you're doing so that guy observing maybe he was going to do something he didn't have to question okay that guy's stopping it i don't have to act now i can stay concealed whatever but really the scary side of that is wow that guy's taking that gun he looks violent he can hurt somebody so if, if that if you were projecting something different that could have went a different route and you could have been in a shootout with another concealed carry holder so it, it's very that looking and sounding like a good guy definitely something you did well right there in my opinion seeing this yeah i didn't uh, i didn't consider that at all and i had just found out about this gentleman just the other day but uh yeah i didn't consider that because uh, i mean at that point the only thing i would have been able to i think would have ran through my mind is not that this guy's a uh, being a responsibly armed citizen and a concealed carry holder i would have thought you know this gentleman is a threat and i am trying to do what's right and i need to stop this threat so I guess hopefully I, in that situation, I would have picked up on body language. I would have registered that he is not acting in a way that everyone else is. So I don't know. I don't know what would have happened. I hope I would have done what was right and done, you know, acted excellent and uh, done the right thing in that situation. I'm glad that didn't come up. That would, that would have been a very hard situation to handle. But I think you're handling the other situation in a way that, that mitigated the possibility of that situation occurring. Oh, I hope so. Absolutely. I mean, I, all this and everything, I think like we went over may have just been my job but it was also my duty i was just trying to do the right thing and uh you know the right thing as i myself dictate to myself i just hope that i was trying to do the right thing as dictated myself so that afterwards i could live with the decisions i made and that legally there were no ramifications on myself or my family varg you almost interjected something in there uh i was gonna say a couple of things you read like if you have experience you read a couple of those key pieces of body language, you know, if, if immediately, it, it was pretty close to immediately that he started breaking that rifle open and, and clearing it out. Um, number one, obvious rifle handling experience, obviously, right, right off the bat. Number two, probably not his rifle, because why would he be clearing it if he just got his rifle back it, or, or was just picking up his rifle if I just spun around and happened to see that. You know, so I agree with Daniel about mitigating a lot of that due to the behaviors that That's you were true. Exhibiting. Okay, yeah. I get you. Yeah, because if you were just like, you know, picked it up and then you're like Bruce Willis dual wielding and you got a rifle in one hand and a pistol in the other and you're yelling at you the crowd. You're pointing like, that gun at everybody yeah. to get away, whatever, you know. Yeah. Whole different, different message, yep. right? So that the message you sent was very, uh, it was very, you looked professional, you looked like you had a job to do and it wasn't anything to do with hurting people and defensive in nature difference. with the ability to go violently offensive immediately and i just want to i just want to say to answer your question about you were like you were asking about perspectives having been in situations where i would move through a, a hostile crowd a large crowd and maybe have a target that i was trying to get to and try to move and be able to between the distance of where i'm starting and the, and, and the target be able to be in action by the time I'm at the target, but not too early to alert the the crowd or his buddies and things like that to cause my, my mission to be much harder than it should be. I want to say that you exhibited probably the 
best absolute example of being able to accomplish those very difficult nuances of a move like that, being able to get to a target in a semi-hostile crowd, get through without throwing yourself into a more difficult situation by starting at the other end of the street yelling, hey, put that rifle down and then trying to go over or something like that, right? You were like, move in, get in close, go into action, overwhelm, and, you know, create uncertainty, which is, you know, central to what I try to teach about mindset is that uncertainty is the enemy of every fighter. If you can create uncertainty in your opponent, then they get stuck in the loop of having to make new plans. And while they're making new plans, you're enacting yours. So that's the deer in the headlights thing you keep talking about. And these guys are just completely shocked and recognized it. Yeah, exactly. So when you put them in that state, then you're in control. You're dominating the situation. And you were able to move through the crowd, cover the distance, accomplish that goal, and do it all with excellent strategy, excellent choices of actions, and I think that part of it, not speaking about your job or any of your other duties or anything else you were tasked with, but that little window of time that day was, I think you were in flow and it was really beautiful to see. Wow. That, I've never seen, heard Var give anybody a compliment ever about yeah, anything. Yeah, it might be the fucking only time it ever happened. <laughs> so I'm definitely going to read your book because, I mean, I'm jiving with what you're saying. and. Yeah. Uh, um, I really, really appreciate that. And I'm, I'm glad I've never been the best at anything. Um, I'm a very average dude. Um, I think the Same. best thing I've ever been at is probably being the most average. So I, I appreciate you saying those things and being able to break that down. Cause like I said, I'm looking for the other perspectives out there from people who are in the know of it and not just the armchair, you know, heroes. Cause to me, it's like, I, my own perspective is my own perspective and to get outside of that in a high threat situation is very difficult. Um, so I've been trying to, what, what's, uh, what is this other person's perspective that would know, um, be able to break it down. And, uh, I really appreciate that. While we're, we're waiting on a couple of questions, gunfighter cast is, uh, we got a rebrand coming and, uh, we'll rebrand to, uh, it'll be the mag life, uh, it'll be the mag life podcast. Got a rebrand going, going to fall under the, uh, gun mag warehouse umbrella with some gun mag TV and some other things that we do. So that's coming here in the next couple of months. Don't. Be scared. You don't have to do anything. If your your subscription will will stay subscribed, you'll it'll still come in your feed. You'll not you won't know anything different. Just the graphical change and the title will change. The last thing that I want to ask, and, and it's something that's I think a lot of people are going to wonder about. Um, what would you, in retrospect, have done differently or have carried differently? So this is the biggest thing that I regret. Because I thought about it during the situation, and I made the d- decision differently. And I know the decision differently turned out well, but I feel like the overall decision that I should have taken was the other. I should have cleared those vehicles. From the second that I saw them getting in those vehicles, from, and then again, the second I saw them produce that rifle, I should have gotten the control of that rifle like I did the first one, and I should have cleared those fucking vehicles. I should have cleared them. I should have taken everything out of them that they could have gotten their hands on that would have been dangerous, and I should have fucking cleared them that is the biggest thing that is bothering me right now because it's caused problems and i the only thing i could think of that would validate the decision i made is i was by myself and i couldn't clear those vehicles and hold security on myself uh successfully 
and that bothers the holy hell out of me. I don't like it. Uh, it sits very, very uncomfortably with me. That's too big of a job for one guy, man. I don't and know. I, I understand that's, that, and I get that tactically. Like, like my situation had to dictate my tactics, and I understand yeah. that. But uh, during that moment and after, and especially in hindsight, like I knew, I knew that there was something in there, and obviously there was. We reduced it. But also knowing more now, I should have gotten into those vehicles. I don't care if I should, if I would have had to shoot the fucking windows to get in there to get those things to get controlled and get them back to the police. I should have control. I should have searched those vehicles. I don't know if I'd beat myself up too much about that. But hey, whatever you need to do to beat yourself up more so you keep yourself humble, go right ahead. It's asking a lot in that situation. Candyman87, they'll have some funny names. They'll be like Dirt Bike Racer 42. They, this is <laughs> to which I'm not making fun of you, Candyman. I love you. But recommended books that you like to, that you would recommend for people that are uh, on mindset. He said besides on combat and on killing. Wow. So I'm actually a very big reader. Um, I love reading and I love reading nonfiction and fiction. And uh, that's actually hard for me because one of the biggest influences literally uh, through literature that I have is it's uh, fiction, but it, it's fucking nerdy as all hell. Tarzan, 100% Tarzan. Uh, the dude acts. He just fucking acts because in the situation, life or death, which he grew up in, it's you act. Um, you don't react because acting means you already know what you're going to do. But I mean, with that, there, uh, Marcus Aurelius, Stoicism. Um, it's a philosophy that, you know, I definitely don't live by, but I definitely try to adhere to in some situations, which I probably should now. I can't control my my decisions then. I can't control how it's played out now, so I should move on. But um, if I had read Marcus Aurelius on uh, his journals um, earlier in life, it probably would have helped me in a lot of other situations. Um, as for mindset, I mean, I haven't read Varg's book, but apparently he's got a pretty good one. And just talking with him, I would love to get into the weeds and how he sees things and breaks things down. Um, it's not only tactically uh, sound, but it's also in line with a, a more Zen way of thinking about things. It's uh, it's very, very, you know, I see it in the background. It's very Masashi in Japanese. Like, if you're not one with yourself and the situations around you, you really don't know what you're going to be able to do. Um, as for mindset, though, it's... There's so much out there. Your influences can't come just from books on mindset. Sorry, Mark. But it needs to come from, uh, you know, other places in, in, uh, in your world, um, other inspirations. Um, Theodore Roosevelt. Theodore Roosevelt is a huge one. The dude just wanted to do some cool stuff and be the greatest dude he could for, you know, his country. And, uh, yeah, he sought sought out to do those things and i can't say that i haven't done that because i've gone out contracting and it wasn't just for the money yeah i've done lots of things for a cool title that's right it's right, right. It. yeah and uh, <laughs> i mean there's so much out there i really couldn't just name one and i apologize for that but uh i would say read a book and if you like that book pick up another and find those character traits within within them that you like and want to identify with and grow into there was a, a, a exercise that a my best friend did. She basically said, hey, put down 10, care 10 people that you look up to. Doesn't matter if they're real, fake, dead, whatever, 10 people. And then I did that and then I gave it to her and she went and wrote the character traits that relate from me and that person, me and that person, me and that person. And I was like, okay, well, that makes sense. Yep. Um, and try to live to those traits that you, you know you're Zen with. So I apologize. I can't answer your question accurately, but I mean, that's the best I can give you for now. Uh, Hazard Colors asks, is the guy in jail now? They're trying to find him. They are, okay, are they? searching for him now. Okay. How about the first guy and the second guy? Okay. Both of them. So some of this stuff, there's probably more on camera. 
were they the, your crew able to get some of the camera uh shots of, of both of these events no so the video clip that you guys see was not my video crew it was actually a rival news station and uh my crew i put in the safety so they didn't get any of that and they uh, they are actually very thankful for it but they're also like you know i wish why couldn't we have got this shot they got <laughs> <Yeah. it. laughs> but uh i mean there's other stuff out there everyone had their phones out everyone was you know streaming every time i saw someone walk by they had their snapchat live or facebook live and doing all kinds yeah. of crazy stuff it's out there and people that probably saved it they could probably send it in but they're not going to because that just proves what they were doing. right my friend steven uh steven irl on twitch he's uh he's a bounty hunter there's a lot of other cool stuff but he he streams on twitch all the time um he raided us a little while ago with like uh, uh 200 and some people i think and so some people didn't come in at the very beginning when we we're talking so some of these questions may be repeated no worries. Uh, Gumo wants to know, uh, he was he's watching live from Lake Stevens. Did everyone or did anyone help you out from getting the rifles from when you got the rifles to getting them back to the police? Two dudes. Two dudes did. And uh, they were kind of funny encounters. One, um, he had an American flag rolled up and hanging out, hanging out like on his shoulder. And then he had a, like a flag bandana. And he was just there to be an American. And I, he came up to me and I'm in, being very verbally aggressive towards everyone. He's like, no, nah, man, I, I want to help. Like, is there anything I do? Can I help? And I just told him, you know, hang out more than Mary or let's, and I got to move. And then there was another gentleman, kind of a nerdy looking dude. Um, he came up and again, I challenged him like, what are you doing? You're getting away. And he's like, it's okay, man. I'm, I'm active duty. I'm active duty. And, and uh, I was like, all right, what branch? <laughs> first thing out of my mouth, what branch? He goes, Coast Guard. My first response was get behind me. No, it's better than nothing. Let's go. <laughs> so I told, I told him I was just joking. You know, I was definitely in a very situa very uh, you know, aggressive and serious situation. But uh, you can't let that PMA lead you. So positive mental attitude. You gotta, you know. Dude, you're talking about reading lists, and uh, and you you alluded to this earlier about not having control of a lot of things. I got. I'm a huge fan of, of attitude. It's the only thing I can really control. I can't control anything else in my life. I can't control what happens to me, but I can control how I accept those things and my yeah. attitude about those things. That's it. So those those two guys were they were great. Um, one of them peeled off. Not going to say the one, but I mean it did. It was getting very very dangerous. And the other, I told him I'm like, look, I don't know where these policemen are. I'm going to hold my guys here in the corner where I have you know like almost uh, I'd say about 200 degree security on me and my team while people are surrounding us, I need you to run up a block or somewhere, find out where these nearest cops are because hundred miles an hour in the wrong direction is not a good thing. So he did, he sprinted up, he got out there, he found where the line was and he came back. He's like, they're up here. I was like, all right, we're moving. And uh, you know, he walked with me pretty much all the way to the police and that was spot on. That was excellent. I really appreciated it because at that point, a scout is absolutely what yeah. I need. So no, I don't like to run, so. <laughs> <laughs> Man. Even Varga are twinsies. They even look the same. Hey, makes fun of me for running and everything else. Jeez, guys, if if you uh, if you're out there listening and you're not catching this live uh, on whatever way you listen to the podcast, uh, a lot of our episodes that we do live on Twitch. Uh, I don't have Patreon or anything else anymore. Twitch is the only way the income occurs. Jump on there. People sometimes give donations or just subscribing using your Amazon Prime. That doesn't cost you any extra money. It helps the show out. Pretty much the only way the show makes money right now. So uh, if you are into it, you dig the content and what's going on, then that's where you would come help out and you would join. So you get to see all three of our beautiful faces as we talk about here today. Next time we go live on Twitch, you'll get notified. So it's great for all that. Vark, thanks for your insightful questions as usual. Rugi, thanks so much for taking the time to come on the show, man. I, 
I'm telling you, like I, I got chills even before we started the show when you were explaining to me about, you know, when you were, uh, you were, I'd already decided to go in the Marine Corps, but you were asking about the Marine Corps. And I was like, please tell me I responded. Right. Cause I, I, I've always tried to respond to everybody, you know, it's hard, or whatever. and, uh, I, it is you. You know it right now because people. Yeah, I'm learning it, and it's difficult. Like my inbox is flooded with thousands, and trying to sort through them, and uh, it's it's difficult, man. So I I can more than imagine what everyone else. But is. the the fact that Gunfighter Cast helped a good dude along his journey to do what you did out there that could have saved lives, man, out there uh, when you snatched that gun and everything else, like that, it's it's awesome. It makes me want to do it in the next episode and spend the time on it and everything else. So. Stay safe out there, and uh, if there's anything else that uh, that we can do if to, to help out, you want to come back on and talk about something, if you've got some kind of gig going on and, and you need to push it, whatever. But I was like, you better use this thing that's happening to you right now to, to help set you up for the future. I, I absolutely am, and uh, unfortunately, it's a very capitalistic thing, but I'm doing it. Um, there's actually two things I would like to mention besides my own, uh, my own Instagram page, which is where which is going to be the platform I try to launch my business off of hopefully as soon as possible, but it's a, uh, it's a very complex thing to do. Um, I have another, uh, Facebook or Facebook, excuse me, um, Instagram page called firewatch official spelled exactly how it sounds. Nothing special in there. And that the whole point of that is for a place to online on Instagram for veterans, law enforcement, um, current active duty and first responders to go to to share their stories. It's a user content fed thing. A friend of mine, that I served with is running it. He is far better at it than I ever could be. And, uh, you know, we need content. We want to hear you guys' stories. We want to hear you guys put them out there and we want to hopefully have the community grow. And it has grown to, you know, over 1,200 in the last few days so that, uh, you know, it's nothing but positivity because I can't imagine the positivity that's flown into my Instagram over there for people that have had these really hard things um, happen. Like sometimes that bothers you. And uh, to be able to be like, you know what? Yeah, I'm gonna go on a fire watch and I'm gonna I'm gonna read some things and hopefully connect. I think that'd be a great thing. But also That's really cool. I I wanna try to see what I can do to jump in that and and give a hand. I'm really big into fiction writing and I, I love it. And I, I I found that there's a lot of us, you know, that come back from combat experiences and they don't wanna tell their own story, but they'll create a fictional story that tells their own story. Absolutely. Um, I've been trying to figure out a way to make that and my fiction writing stuff cross paths with the veteran community and help out. And it, there might be somewhere to do it there. I think that's awesome. I think that'd give you a lot of inspiration to some of the stories that are going yeah, on. Yeah, for you sure. Know, absolutely. Absolutely. And there's a, then there's a, a thing I feel really uncomfortable with, but I'm being told by some very influential people that, you know, I respect their opinion that I need to plug my GoFundMe in there because COVID's hit us all hard and I'm trying to start this business. And I, hopefully this business will be for the betterment of everybody. Um, especially the precision rifle community. Hey, tell uh, us about your business, what you're doing with this. I have several products that I'm developing. One, I have a prototype and I'm getting more made up right now of, uh, I'm not going to tell you the product, but, uh, to, for shooters and it's, it's very adaptable. It's, um, very useful thing. And it, there's, there hasn't been anything done exactly like it, but there's also a few other products that I think will help people in the field. Say you got something that's broken. This thing will help you, uh, put it back together and fix it and level it out really easy. So, and a few, a few other things, I got a lot of ideas I've been sitting on for years that I'm now trying to bring to fruition. Um, but yeah, I have a GoFundMe. It's on my Instagram page, underscore shooter, underscore Rugi, underscore R U G H I for Rugi. And uh, you can click it and go right to it. And, uh, that's what I'm trying to do. And I'm trying to use this platform for nothing but good. And hopefully to, uh, to say nothing but unity for a country and let's focus on the unity before we focus on the division. 
this this whole time that we've been talking, this guy who's exhibited, you know, excellent ability, capability, willingness to, you know, act on uh, what he feels is right during a time that could be very dangerous and, you know, run into a violent situation and used all these, you know, excellent, everything you did was just of a higher level of purpose and a higher level of drive and capability. And not once throughout this whole thing were we talking about gear and and tactical this and tactical that and all the other stuff that the entire community is so wrapped up in. We've spent more time talking about He didn't bring up his thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My like mindset and actually the the overall thing that I'm getting from this guy is be a good person, right? Right. Yep. Be a good person. And and you can be a tough guy. You can be you can be a badass when you need to be a badass. But when you don't need to be, and when you need to be both, be a good person. And that's true self control. That's true mastery of the self. And you, if you can't master yourself in that way, you're not going to master yourself or be able to count on your self control when the chips are down. I, I really appreciate that, and uh, that does mean a lot. I mean, one thing that honestly. I like it for instance for example I've never drank I've never drank I made the decision again when I was really young that I didn't want to and I've stuck to that my whole life and I think that has you know just like a muscle has really helped exercise what I uh what I believe in the decisions I make um because I mean if you can't control yourself then you really have no power you know your power comes from your self-control right, right. and if you can't control your emotions you know look what happened to Anakin Skywalker um, the the most powerful thing that we have in this world is emotion, and if it's not harnessed properly or directed properly, it could be the devastation of us all. You are a freaking rad, dude, and you are doing all of us Marines proud. That's like that's how I measure people. Oh, he's a Marine. Okay, you're a higher level already. And then whenever you're doing the Marines proud, like right on. He's a good one too. And and Rugi, you are legit, and uh, you are doing us proud and. And I, I really appreciate you jumping on here and, and take when you launch your new product and everything else, whenever that thing's ready to go, you make sure you let me know and you will come on here and talk about it. Where Gunfighter Cast is going, I mentioned it earlier about the rebrand happening, just kind of drop that in the middle. We're going to be going out to hundreds of thousands of people. It'd be much bigger than it's ever been. It used to only be like thousands of people or maybe sometimes tens of thousands of people or tens of people on the bad days. I, I would love to help you out and and I, the little bit that I can do like cause it it won't be tons but uh, you even know when it's ready. One drop raises the sea. That's right. Any any one person, our span of influence, the way that works, you know, like you being a good person, people being an asshole, you know, like uh, the way that's contagious. You know, one person can influence thousands just by physical interaction. Pretty amazing. I appreciate that, and I hope you know that we keep in touch. And if you wouldn't mind passing a Vark, my my uh, contact info that we've been using and uh i'd love to shoot the shit with you and talk about it and get into it because honestly the, the conversations like this are really helping me learn more who i am and yeah. how i act in situations and i value that be not out of selfish gain but of uh you know because i'll be able to determine what i can do in the future in certain situations and i think that's what's really helped me play out what happened the other day well, Varg didn't get a whole lot of heads up about this coming on, about about you coming on here. But Varg has a podcast. You guys could probably have some really great conversations on there. 
Well, then we should absolutely link up and do one of those together. So, yeah, sh- uh, give him my uh, my contact, and uh, I can work that out. Guys, again, Rugi, thanks for joining. Varg, I thank you for taking the time out of your weekend to come hang out and hang out with us. Everybody out there watching live, Steven, thank you for the raid. That was awesome, bringing all those people over here, 400-some people in here. That was amazing. And uh, all you regular Gunfighter Cast listeners out there, thank you for tuning in and uh, giving this episode a listen. Next time, join us on Twitch. And until then, Gunfighter Cast out.